Hey, welcome to Permission to Elevate, a space for you to lean into creating a life that lights you up, to exploring your deepest desires and learning all about how to clear out the clutter in your mind that's been holding you back up until now from going after everything that's possible for you. I'm Kelly Jennifer, your host and mindset coach, and I'm committed to holding you high, to proving to you that your obstacles and distractions are nothing but thought errors that can be reprogrammed, and to help you find the success, self-love, and limitless possibility that your heart is craving. I can't wait to elevate together. Let's go. Hello, you beautiful people. Welcome to another episode of Permission to Elevate. Thank you for being here. Truly, thank you for listening to this episode. Thank you if you've listened to any of the other ones. I truly, truly appreciate all the support, all the feedback. Um, Just I'm overjoyed to be able to put this work out into the world and the feedback has been beautiful. So I just really appreciate every single one of you who is listening right now. Today, I wanted to do something a little bit different because today marks the nine-year anniversary of me living in Spain. Some of you know a little bit about my story. Others of you may not know very much at all. And so I figured because I get so many questions about how I ended up here and how I survive here, frankly, um, I figured I would record a podcast all about it and I could just send people here (laughs) whenever they have questions about how I could possibly survive without a dryer. Yes, I survive without a dryer. (laughs) This is just one of the many, many things you'll learn about what I survive without here and all of the reasons that I'm so thrilled to live here that I have no plan to leave anytime soon and how I got here in the first place. So let's just dive right in, shall we? First, you should know that I am not the type of person who ever had dreams to live abroad. I am from the United States and I really never had a desire to even travel very much. Like when all of my friends were studying abroad in college and talking about wanting to like backpack through Europe, I I just never had that desire. It wasn't anything that I wanted to do. And so you should know that because it just makes the fact that I ended up here even more of kind of a funny, interesting story. Um, So how did I end up here? That is potentially the best part of the story. I, again, am from the United States. I am from the beautiful state of Nevada. And I used to work in the casino industry. I'm from the city of Reno. I started working in casinos there, and then I ended up down in Las Vegas working for the largest casino corporation in the world, Caesars Entertainment, and I 
I absolutely loved it. I can say that now, although if you ask my mom, she will tell you that I used to call and complain to her all of the time. I did that with every job I ever had, right? Do you like do you guys do that where when you're in it, you can't find anything good about it, right? Like you just complain about it and you think it's the worst. And then when you move on to something else, you like fondly look back at that previous job and you're like, that was such a great job. <laughs> I am the queen of that. So I say now that I absolutely loved the job and I really, really did, but it was stressful. It was a lot. And when I look back at my life in Las Vegas in general, I had a lot of fun, um, but it wasn't the healthiest of lifestyles. I was working a ridiculous amount of hours. I would wake up and the first thing that I would do would be to check my phone, to check my work emails, um, to respond right away, right, at 6 a.m. if I had an email from a boss I had multiple bosses, so I often had an email from a boss. And then I would roll out of bed with a massive wine hangover, get ready for work, um, and I would roll into work. I would work for hours and hours and hours, go from meeting to meeting, and then I would go home and open up my laptop and open up a bottle of wine and continue to work while I drink wine and watch the Kardashians and or The Bachelor. And that was my life Monday through Friday. I really didn't take any time off. That I come by that naturally. I remember growing up, my parents both worked really, really hard in their jobs. And I think each of them had like six weeks of vacation. Um, and I only ever remember them taking, my mom used to take like two weeks at Christmas. And then, you know, we would do maybe one other thing throughout the year. I don't know. We'd go visit family or something in the summertime. And then, so she'd take like three weeks total. And then my dad, I don't, I don't know if he ever took more than three weeks either. So it was just like, it was just, natural for me to not take all the vacation time that I had. But I met a girl at work through a project that we were working on together. And she and I became fast friends. We were both in our 20s and single. And we decided that we were going to take a vacation together. We both had all of this built up vacation time that we hadn't used, had no plans to use. And, you know, we made good money and didn't spend it on anything other than drinking and partying. So we decided we wanted to take a vacation together. So over a lot of wine at her house one night, we were each on our laptops and searching around where we wanted to go. It was either Jamaica or Punta Cana, Dominican Republic. And for some magical reason, we landed on Punta Cana. So she and I go on this vacation, and I was in a place in my life where I had just had my heart broken. I had just gone through a pretty big heartbreak. And not only was it a heartbreak because a relationship 
ended, but it was a really, really sort of traumatizing situation looking back at it now because I was involved with somebody that I worked with. And when that fell apart, it sort of fell apart for all to see. And so there was a lot of shame involved. And I actually went to see a therapist because I was really struggling at this time in my life. And this woman did wonders for me. I don't know what she did, <laughs> but she she had me believing truly that all was well. I had forgiven him in my heart and I was feeling on top of the world. I was feeling completely confident in myself. I was feeling like I didn't need another man to to make me happy. I went on this vacation after just having been through some extensive sessions with this therapist and I was feeling on top of the world. I was not interested in meeting men on this vacation. I was not interested in flirting with men. I was truly interested in like just living my best life, in walking along the beach, in having drinks at the pool, like just fully enjoying and enjoying being me. My friend that I was with, she was at a place in her life where she was a little bit boy crazy. So she was definitely interested in meeting men. She was like, let's do this. There are men from all over the world here. There's Dominican men. There are <laughs> lots of different men. Like, let's go meet them and flirt. And so I kind of went along for the ride, although I was not particularly interested. We went to a discoteca one night and it was fun. You know, we danced, we had a good time, we had some drinks. And then at the end, I was ready to go home. Like by the time the night was wrapping up. I was I was so done. I was over it. I was ready to go. And my friend was not. So we were kind of having a conversation between her and I about what we were going to do. I wanted to go home. She wanted to stick around and have more fun. And being in a foreign country and not really even knowing how to get back to our hotel, I, we were not about to separate. Like we had to come to a an agreement because there was no way I was going to go home and leave her there. And there was no way that she was going to leave me. Like it was just, we were just going to stay together no matter what. And so she won and she ended up, um, you know, starting a conversation with these two guys that were sitting at a table outside of the club. And it was a very complicated conversation because they didn't speak English <laughs> and we did not speak very much Spanish. I mean, other than, you know, like a handful of words and donde esta la biblioteca, we really did not speak a lick of Spanish. But these men were really making an effort to speak English, although they didn't speak much of it. Um, so we ended up having a conversation with these guys. Now, mind you, I was still like not interested and I was ready to go home. There were two guys and there were two of us and she and and one of the guys were kind of hitting it off. And me and the other guy, the guy's friend, were kind of both like sitting cross-armed, like annoyed. Just we were, you know, smiling and laughing and nodding and and going along with the whole thing. But neither of us were very interested. 
And plus, it seemed like this guy really didn't speak very much English at all. So he and I were just kind of sitting there while our friends flirted. And a few drinks later, a few hours later, we finally went home, but apparently we had made plans to meet up with these guys the next day. Anyway, long story short, we ended up spending the entire week with these guys. And as it turns out, my friend and her handsome Spanish man did not work out so well. But lo and behold, me and the quiet friend who didn't say much the first night, we ended up hitting it off pretty well. Turns out he spoke a lot more English than he was alluding to the first night. And we just really hit it off. We, <laughs> we wanted to spend a lot of time together. And we did that for a few days. And the last day, when it came time to say goodbye, he was asking for my phone number and, you know, wanting to stay in touch. And I just had this feeling like this was really fun for what it was. This was, this was really a great time. Like it was a beautiful experience, but I mean, what are we going to do? Like keep in contact that it just doesn't make any sense. And so I didn't give him any of my information and we just sort of parted and, and said, Hey, it, it was fun. It was nice meeting you, sir. Um, and it's so funny because I remember being on the airplane, flying away from the Dominican Republic, and I remember I had a window seat, and I was looking out the window and just thinking, damn it, why didn't I give that guy my number? Why, why was I so stupid? Why, why didn't I give him any information? What a silly thing of me to do. He was the first thing that I thought about and really the only thing I thought about the whole way home because we we did have a really intense connection and and then at some point I guess I just forgot about it and brushed it off and and we went about our lives and and that was it and a couple weeks later I think it was a couple weeks later I got a friend request on Facebook and my heart almost jumped out of my chest. I was so excited. I was so excited. This guy had found me on Facebook. Um, and I was just, I just remember being so excited dancing around. I called my friend immediately. She was so excited. Like it was just, it was, it was so funny. Um, and he and I started to correspond daily. We used to write each other long letters using Google Translate. I would write him a letter in English, and then I would just plug it into Google Translate, translate it into Spanish, and copy and paste it into Facebook Messenger and send it off. <laughs> Looking back at those letters, because of course we still have them, they're still stored in Facebook, um, the translation was terrible. Google Translate has really come a long way. It was really, really bad. And there were a lot of, I think, misunderstandings that we had to clear up. A lot of funny moments and jokes where we would, you know, say, I, I don't think you meant to say that. Maybe you meant to say this. 
because he would do the same thing. He would write me a letter in Spanish and then and then copy and paste it into Google Translate and send it to me in English, in my language, right? It was very sweet that we were trying to speak each other's languages, but it probably would have been easier had we just written, had I just written in English and then he could have translated it and maybe he would have had the original context to, to refer back to. But anyway, we we wrote each other letters for a really long time back and forth. And then we started talking on the phone a little bit. And at some point, we decided that he was going to come to visit me in Las Vegas. And oh my gosh, this was just the biggest deal. He had never been to the United States. He really didn't speak very much English. So I mean, for him to be brave enough to like book this ticket and come on over and, you know, we barely knew each other, but we felt like we did. And this was going to sort of be the test to see whether what we had in the Dominican Republic was a real thing or whether it was just a fling. And, and this was going to be how we would know. Right. And so he came to visit me for a week in Las Vegas. I had to work some of those days and, and he just kind of hung out at my apartment and I took a few days off. We went to the Grand Canyon and we just had all of these fun nights out in Las Vegas, these beautiful meals together. We had the best time and that was it. Like that was just it. We just decided at that point there was no way that we were not going to be together. It was, it was love. It was absolutely 100% it for both of us. And it's so crazy to think about that. Like if I, being a mom now, I don't have a daughter, but if I ever have a daughter, like, oh my gosh, if my daughter just told me that she met a random Spaniard in the Dominican Republic, spent like three days with him and then spent a week with him and then decided at that point that that it, that that was it and that she was going to spend forever with this guy. I mean, I would just think that she was ludicrous. But that's how it felt for us. And so, you know, we didn't make any super rash decisions at that point. We just decided that we were going to be together from a distance and and that we would figure out what it looked like over time. So, I went to see him a few months later over spring break. We traveled all around, that was my first time to Spain, and I absolutely fell in love. It was just the most incredible thing that I had ever seen. I was obsessed with the architecture, with the streets, with the culture, with people walking around everywhere, with the food. Just everything was magnificent to me, and I was in total awe, and I again, never had any desire to travel abroad. So it's almost like I didn't even know what to expect. And I was blown away. I was completely blown away. And again, we had sort of solidified in that visit together that that we were going to be together. And we didn't know what it was going to look like still at that point. Um, then that summer, he came back to the States, spent quite a bit more time, spent a few weeks, met my family. Uh, we, he and I did a lot of traveling. 
Um, and then, you know, it was really at that point that the wheels went into motion to, for me to move to Spain. He was completely willing to move to Las Vegas. He was ready to pack up his whole life and make that happen. But for me, I mean, I just loved Spain and I did not love Las Vegas. <laughs> mm-hmm. It was not a place that I wanted to start my life with someone. It was not a place that I saw a future for having children and having a family. It's, you know, no offense if anybody lives in Las Vegas, it's a great place, but just for me, it it wasn't the place that I wanted to be for the rest of my life. And I was just ready for this new adventure. I was ready to just like throw it all to the wind, throw caution to the wind and set off on this new adventure and not know what it was going to look like. So, you know, him moving to Vegas was sort of out of the question. So we went about figuring out how I could move to Spain. It was a lot of paperwork. It was a lot of research, mostly on his part, to figure out how the visa situation would look. Um, We were not prepared to do anything crazy like getting married for a visa. So we wanted to figure it out in a way where you know, if things didn't work out, that nothing was too permanent. <laughs> so we figured it out. We we got me a visa and I sold everything that I owned. I sold my entire two-bedroom, two-story apartment full of furniture, all my clothes and my shoes that I loved. I gave stuff away to my friends. I I got rid of everything that I owned. I, of course, told all of my friends and family. They all thought I was nuts. Some were super supportive, even though they thought that I was nuts. Some were, you know, had a hard time being supportive, which now I I completely understand. Again, being a mom, like, <laughs> how could they have supported such a crazy, wild thing? Um, I actually... I feel very grateful that so many people in my life were so very supportive given the circumstances. So I quit my job in December in Las Vegas. And on January 24th, 2014, I arrived at the Madrid airport with four suitcases and no fucking clue what I was doing. This (laughs) This <laughs> this is actually hilarious because I I had brought like I had I had brought a separate outfit that I wanted to change into when I got off of the plane because I wanted to be like fresh and cute, right? And so I was one of the last ones off the plane anyway. I was not used to international travel. And then, of course, I had to go through customs. And, and then, of course, I had to get my four suitcases and figure out how to get a cart to load all of those onto. And then, of course, I had to find a bathroom and figure out how I was going to change my clothes. And it was just like, it was a disaster. And <laughs> poor Juan is waiting on the other side, like waiting for me to come out. And he starts to see all of these people come from my flight, right? Or what he assumes is my flight. He starts to see all of these people come out, and I'm nowhere to be found. He's, you know, he's like, 
And so I come out all refreshed and beautiful in my new outfit. And I'm like expecting as soon as the doors open, they're like these sliding glass doors. I'm expecting as soon as they open to, to see his face there waiting for me. But he was not there. So here I am pushing this cart with my four suitcases, with my whole life packed into these suitcases. And I'm, you know, looking around for this man. I'm like, did he ditch me? Like, did I tell him the wrong flight number? What is going on here? My heart starts to race. I'm starting to panic a little bit. (laughs) And I look over and I see him out of the corner of my eye, running to me. He had to pee. And like the fact that I took so long coming off the damn plane, he was waiting at the airport for like two hours from the time it took me to, you know, he was early. And then the time it took me to get through customs and get all my luggage and get changed and get cute, the guy had to pee. And so he just, he couldn't hold it anymore. And, um, so, and of course, imagine from his perspective, he's like waiting and waiting and waiting and no one's coming out. And he's like, oh my gosh, did she not get on the plane? Did she not come? Like, (laughs) we're both just thinking, oh, this was not what we thought it was. We both just got like ghosted. Anyway, all was well. So that was it. Now there is probably not time in this episode for me to go into all of the things that were incredibly shocking for me when I first arrived here, but I'll touch on just a couple of things because they're hilarious. So yeah, first of all, I mean, the houses are much smaller. Most people here live in like flats, right? Um, they're, they're sort of like apartment buildings, but they own them, right? They're they're owned houses. They call them houses. Um, but they are they are the size of large apartments or condos or I don't know what we would compare them to in the United States. But they're much smaller in space than what I was used to. And in addition to that, they're very sort of closed off. So every single room has a door. The living room has a door that you walk in to go into the living room. The kitchen has a door that you walk in to go into the kitchen. Um, the dining room has a door, right? Like obviously the bedrooms and all of that have a door, but really you walk into a typical Spanish house and it's like a little tiny entryway and then there's hallway and then there's just doors everywhere. So whereas, of course, in the States, the most common floor plan these days is a very open concept, right? You walk in and you just see everything. Of course, the bedrooms have doors and the bathrooms have doors, but, you know, the living room, the kitchen, the dining room, the all the rooms are just attached and big and open. So that was a huge challenge for me in the beginning, just the sheer claustrophobia of being in a much smaller space. The closets are tiny, itty bitty. Like that's the, I, mm. it, they, they seem normal to me now. So much of 
my life just seems normal to me now. Like I don't open my closet every morning and say, oh my gosh, this closet is so small. It's just my closet. But when I first moved here, it was shocking and difficult and made me want to burst into tears. And I'm sure that I did multiple times. Now, luckily, I had gotten rid of a lot of my clothes and I had to sort of keep half of my wardrobe. I moved here in January, so I kept all of my summer clothes in a suitcase and I only put the clothes that I could fit in the closet in there, (laughs) only the ones that I was going to wear on a daily basis. And then, of course, was the problem of where do I put these suitcases? (laughs) Oh, so we were discovering space for a long time for all of my things. Some of you are probably thinking, why didn't you just put it in the garage? (laughs) Yeah, no, we don't, we don't have a garage. We don't have a backyard, front yard, like, oh man, I... Sometimes I don't realize how much has changed for me. The kitchen was a real shocker, a real shocker. The kitchen sink was the size of like an average bathroom sink in the United States. It was just like a round, a round, a, a, circle, a circular like single-sided sink. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. Um, And the counter space was probably equivalent to the size of the sink. And then there was a stovetop. This was just sort of in the cooking area. Then there was more space for the refrigerator and the microwave and, and other things in the kitchen, all the dishes and and all the storage of all of the food and all of those things. But um, the actual area where we cooked was the smallest space that I could have possibly ever imagined. And my now husband and I were so in love at the time that we used to both squeeze in that little space and prepare meals together. Like I'd be washing dishes and he'd be cooking. And um, we used to both yeah, squeeze into that little space together and and cook together. And it was frustrating and it was difficult. And at the same time, I don't ever remember being frustrated by it. I just remember it being fine. But it was very, it was, it took some getting used to. The schedule here was something very different. So Spaniards, they go to work around nine, most people. Of course, there are exceptions. This is just, I'm I'm generalizing here. Go to work around nine. And then around two o'clock, they stop working and they come home in the middle of the day for lunch. Now their lunch is the biggest meal of the day. So it's comprised of multiple courses and It's like these are big, big, big copious meals in the middle of the day. And then their dinners are smaller. So they come home around 2 o'clock. They prepare their food. They all sit down at a table together. 
eat their meal, and then they have a siesta. They take a nap in the middle of the day. Now, this is, again, I'm generalizing, not everybody. Some people have really busy work schedules. Some people who work in the bigger cities in Madrid and Barcelona, um, you know, they don't have time to commute back to home to have that time. So they work more of like a, a standard, let's call it an American schedule where they just have an hour break for lunch and maybe they eat a sandwich or a salad at their desk or something. But most people take this three-hour break in the middle of the day, come home, change their clothes out of their suits and, and their fancy clothes into their bum-around-the-house clothes. They have their, these big lunches. They always watch the news. The, the news, like, you know how in the States we have, like, the evening news? Well, they have news around 2 and 3 o'clock because that's when that's when people are home. That's when people are are paying attention. That's when people are sitting around the table and having conversations together about what's going on in the world. And so they always watch the news and eat their meal and then take a nap. And then they get up, put their suits back on and and go to work. So <laughs> that for me, when I first moved here, it was amazing because like I didn't have to just be sitting at home all day long for eight or nine hours waiting for Juan to get home. Like we got to have that time together in the middle of the day and I got to take a nap with him and it was amazing. Like it was, it was the best. I was so stoked on this schedule. It was fantastic. But it took some getting used to. And later on when I started to want to figure out what I wanted to do for work and how I was going to reincorporate myself into, you know, the real world, it was, it was hard for me to get used to the schedule. Now, things actually closed down at this time. Not everything, but the majority of like um, cafes, the majority of clothing stores, most of the grocery stores stay open. But all other things closed down at two o'clock. So from two to five in the afternoon, you can't do anything. Like you can't go out and run errands. The banks are closed. The, the stores are closed. The, the government buildings are closed. Like there's, there's not much that you can do other than take a nap during that time of the day, other than spend time with your family and, and take a nap. Truly, like... There's nothing else you can do, even if you wanted to, because everything's closed. So that was super complicated for me to get used to because I just, I couldn't, I couldn't grasp that concept. I think it took me years to where like I would, I finally got what the schedule was. Like it, it's not complicated, but it, it was just something that I couldn't wrap my head around, especially coming from Las Vegas, which was a 24 hour town. There was never a time when anything was closed. So coming to a place where things were closed a lot, and by the way, the stores really, nothing really opens up until 10 a.m., and then everything's closed on Sundays. Everything's closed on Sundays, even grocery stores. Nothing is open on Sundays. <laughs> this I still struggle with. Like, I don't realize that it's Sunday sometimes, and I'll be like, oh, we need to, you know, run out and grab something, and you can't. 
it's really good for training you to plan things in advance so that you don't run out of milk on a Sunday because you you knew that things were going to be closed. Anyway, that, the schedule was difficult for me. And I even remember judging, judging my husband, judging the culture in general, judging people for this nap thing. Coming from the hustle American culture and the amount of hours that I used to work in Las Vegas, I was like, are you serious right now? Like you can, you're just really going to lay down in the middle of the day and take a nap? Like what is wrong with you people? I, I really, I was judgy about it in the beginning. Like I said, in the very beginning, I loved it because I, I was taking naps too. It, it felt like I was on vacation. But as soon as I started incorporating myself into the real world again and, and doing things with my days, um, it, was, it was hard for me to get used to. And even still on days when I'm super busy and I don't have time to breathe, my husband finds time. He finds time for a nap every day. And it's so funny. Like everything that you see on the internet these days is like, it, it, you know, talks about how napping is healthy and how sleep is super important. And the Spanish culture is one of the healthiest cultures on the planet. Like these people live way longer than Americans live. They have way less diseases, even though they smoke like chimneys. Like there's something to their lifestyle, to the way that they view work versus play, to the way that they view living versus work. They really truly do work in order to live. They don't live to work. It's, it's just they wouldn't even dream of not using up all of their vacation time. Like that wouldn't even cross a Spaniard's mind. That would just be the most ludicrous thing in the world. And when they hear about these kinds of things in the American culture, you know, I tell them about my parents each having six weeks of vacation time when I was younger and only taking three weeks each. Their, their jaws drop. Like they're, they just don't understand it. And now in the place that I'm in in my life, I love and appreciate so much this culture and wish that more Americans would adapt this lifestyle. And I think it's, I think it's coming, right? I think people are understanding that we cannot live to work. We cannot hustle our whole lives and enjoy life when we're 65 years old. Like that paradigm, thank goodness, is, is dying. But yeah, it's very much here. Like, like life is about living. Life is about time with your family, time with your friends, going out and having fun, having beautiful experiences, even if it's just going out and having a coffee with a friend. Like those are the important things to these people. Not climbing the corporate ladder or making their way to the next salary range or having the fanciest car or having the fanciest things. Like these people are truly concerned about life and living and enjoying and there's a lot to be, to be learned from that. And I have learned a lot from it. 
And I'm so grateful that I've been exposed to this culture because I don't know if I would have ever come out of the rat race. Like, I'm pretty sure that I would have just continued to spin my wheels, to climb up the corporate ladder as fast as I could, to make more money. I would have worked more hours. I would have, I would have never taken all my vacation time. Like, I would have lived in stress constantly. I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure that that's what I was wired for, and I'm pretty sure that that's what I would have done. And so I'm so grateful that this turn of events took place to sort of pull me out of that. And to be fair, I shouldn't really call it a turn of events. I mean, I've got to give myself a little bit of credit here. I was really brave to make the moves that I made. And if I'm really honest, like I'm working so hard right now to get back to that place in my life where I just follow my intuition no matter what where there's nothing that gets in the way of that, where there's not too much overthinking and too much worrying about what the potential consequences might be. Like, that's the way I actually want to live my life. That's the way that I desire to live my life. And that's what I did in that time. So had it not been for those decisions that I made, I can't even imagine where I would be right now. And I also think that it's what my soul was just desiring. Like, once I visited Spain, there was just no way that I was going to let us live in Las Vegas or in the United States anywhere. I just didn't want to. I just wanted to be part of this different lifestyle where everyone walked everywhere, where you buy fresh bread every day, where the priorities are getting together with friends and spending time with people. The priorities are enjoyment and not necessarily having material things. And of course, it took a lot of getting used to. I mean, I still wish I had a dryer. <laughs> I still wish I didn't have to hang my wet clothes out on a clothesline hang out my window in order to do so. Oh my gosh, you guys would die. If you saw what I have to do when I do the laundry, <laughs> you would die. I, sure, like I wish that I could go to the store on a Sunday. The pandemic was brutal here. It was absolutely brutal. There wasn't a soul in this entire country that wasn't wearing like the most intense mask. And I'm not talking about like a handkerchief like people were in the United States. I'm talking about like gas masks. And I mean, I was pregnant during the pandemic and I could not go outside and take a walk. We were not allowed in the streets. We were not allowed in the streets. That was the hardest time for me living in Spain. Americans, I think, are much more like just, you're not gonna tell me what to do. Like, sure, the government, like, has a say and all, but, like, you're not telling me what to do with my life? Give me a break. Whereas here, it's like, oh, okay, that's the rules. Um, we'll just, okay. Like, nobody even thought to break them. And it was 
it was excruciating for me. It was really, 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 really difficult for me during the pandemic. Just the, the cultural differences here. Um, maybe I'll record a different podcast about that because that was a, that was a freaking huge culture shock for me. But oh my God, I'm so grateful for all of the experiences that I've had, all of the places that we've been able to travel, all of the things that we've seen, all of the things that we've done, all of the experiences that we've had, the beautiful people that I've met here. My husband's friends are the best. They are the best. They would do anything for me. They loved me and accepted me from the very beginning, with some exceptions. (laughs) but they loved me and accepted me later. The people are truly wonderful. And now that we have a family, I can't imagine a better place for my kid to grow up. Everything just feels more wholesome here. The kids wear uniforms to schools for the most part. There are public schools and private schools, but um, there are a lot of private schools and they're much more accessible than they are in the States. And so many, many people send their kids to, to private schools. And so, you know, it's the education here is really, really great. And I just, I feel like my kid and myself, we're safe here. There's no, right now, I mean, goodness, I, I hope this always remains the case. But right now, there's no fear of sending my kid to school. And I know that many of you moms in the United States have that fear. We don't have that here. And so that's, that's a big thing, to be honest. That's a really big thing. People ask me all the time, like, why don't you move back? Why, how do you live there? What are you doing? Like, (laughs) don't you want to move back? Don't you want to live here? And I just don't. I just don't. Like everything is just so much more simple here. I don't even have an iPhone. My Bluetooth headphones cost 25 bucks. They're not Apple. And I'm fine with that because I know that I'm going to lose them just as easily as I would lose the Apple ones. And it's fine. Like we don't have Alexa in our house. My two-year-old doesn't have a phone, although there are two-year-olds here in Spain who do. Things are just slower. They're simpler. And I'm so grateful that I get to have both places as my home. And at the same time, it's really challenging. It also feels like neither place is my home. There's a, there's a, I don't know if it's like a poem that I've read that talks about expats, people who have moved out away from their country, and it it compares them to colors. Like when they lived in their country, they were blue, and when they moved to another country, they were yellow. And really, no matter what country they're in, they never really feel totally blue anymore, and they never really feel totally yellow anymore. They're just sort of green. They're never fully accepted and understood in their country of origin anymore because they're just different. They've been changed and they're never really fully accepted and understood in their new culture because they're not from here. They're, they're new, they're different. They're, they're not an original piece of the puzzle. And so 
yeah, that's how I feel most days. I feel green. And there's days when that's really hard and there's days when that feels really beautiful. And for the most part, I must say, it feels really, really beautiful. So that's a little bit of my story, how I got from where I was to where I am today. There's so many more pieces. I have so many ideas about different podcasts and blog posts about, you know, the differences between the people in Spain and in the U.S. and the, the, the lessons that I've learned from them and, and just all of those things. And, and maybe I'll make a full list sometime of all of the things that I live without just to give you guys a, a little bit of a chuckle. But the other reason that I really wanted to record this podcast was to inspire a little bit. Just if you're thinking about doing something in your life, whether it's starting a business, whether it's starting just a passion project, starting to volunteer somewhere, changing your job, getting into a new life situation, getting out of a current life situation, different relationships. Like there's so many opportunities for all of us in life to shift, to make one decision in one moment that takes us in a completely different direction. And that can be terrifying. In fact, it almost always is terrifying. But when we don't make those decisions, when we sit in indecision, or when we always choose the safe thing, I think you'll know what I mean because you can maybe feel this in your body. It doesn't always feel like the safe decision because it doesn't feel like you're being true to yourself. It doesn't feel like you're answering the call of your soul to do the thing that was placed on your heart. So like I... I, I'm not saying that everybody should just like up and move to Europe by any means. Like, please don't. There's a lot of things that you would really miss about <laughs> the United States. Like my friend always makes jokes about, well, what about your garage fridge? Like, no, no, no. I don't have a garage fridge. I don't have a garage and I don't have space for a second fridge. Like we only have one fridge. Like there's things like that that would just be really hard for a lot of you. So, and and admittedly, like they were for me too. Again, I've just gotten so used to these things that these things are just my life now. And so I don't remember how difficult they were in the beginning. But I just encourage you to lean in to those decisions that feel absolutely crazy, that feel like they don't make any sense to anybody else, but that your heart truly desires. Because those are the things. Those are the things that we're meant to do in this life. That's the stuff it's all made of. So that's that. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you for interacting. Thank you all for your beautiful feedback. And I will catch you on the next episode. Have a wonderful day, my friend. Hey, thanks again for listening to this episode of Permission to Elevate. This is not the only free resource I have for you. Head over to kellyjennifer.com for more and make sure to follow me at I am Kelly Jennifer on Instagram too. In the meantime, I'll just be over here cheering you on. Talk soon.